Excellent. <laughs> you recorded that, didn't you? I did. We're going to have to move the mic because we've got Mr. Loud. Mr. Mr. Ah. Mr. Hello. Ah. <laughs> Johnny's just watching the waveform. <laughs> right. I know how much you hate it when things interrupt the, the sound. We were doing this to Chris the other day because because <laughs> he does that to us with his horse laugh. You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. Sorry for that interlude. That was... Uh... Oh God, were we recording all of that? No, no, no. just oh. the end. Right. Right. Would you rather poo <clears throat> in... Uh, this is dangerous to ask these questions when sipping Tesco's industrial strength ginger beer. No, it's, it's lovely. If anyone... If you're living if you live in the UK and you shop at Tesco... Actually, they have them in America, don't they? Really? I think so, yeah. Wow. I could Tesco have done well. Totally to be, wrong. But to be fair, they've got Walmart in the UK, which is Asda. Asda, yeah. Fiery ginger beer. Tesco-owned brand. Fantastic. Really, really good. Very affordable. Much cheaper than branded other brands of soft drink. Explains the increased coughs in the podcast recently because <laughs> we always sit down with the ginger beer and it just wrecks you. Wrecks right. you. Well, yeah. Would you rather poo mm-hmm. in the comfort of your own home <laughs> or poo at work and be paid for it? <laughs> Do I assume here that I don't work from home? Yeah, I suppose you'd have to. So assume that I work in an office. Mm-hmm. I have to do all of my pooing in the office. Okay. Is that is that is that what the question is? There's a lot of unknowns in this question, yeah. isn't there? We don't write these would you rather's, so it's a bit difficult for us. We have to just think on the fly here. Yeah. So I think the question has to be you do all of your pooing at work or all of your pooing at home. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, obviously when you're at work you poo at work and obviously when you're at home you poo at home. Yeah. And there isn't a, a would you rather aspect I don't to see it. a problem with pooing at work. Middle of the night poo. You just can't you gotta hold it in until well, or you have to go to work. I don't think I've ever had a middle of the night poo. No, do I? <laughs> Isn't that strange? You've ever weed in the middle of the night? Yeah. Yeah. Like Isn't thousands it? of times, yeah. probably. So that is fascinating. But if anyone knows why, please. Why you don't poo? For the poo love of God, send us a message to admin at propanefitness.com <laughs> and tell us why. Because you've just eaten, haven't you, before you go to bed. So it's not like digestion stops. Mm. There must be a reason for that. Or maybe. Maybe it's I aren't large enough sample. Maybe people do poo in the night. Maybe. Or if you needed to poo that badly, it would stop you from falling asleep. And so if you were ready to poo, then... Right. So there's a system in place that doesn't allow you to fall asleep if you're ready to poo. Possibly. We can poo. You can't. That's, you have to go back to the office. You have to, to go office. to work. And if the office is shut... Oh, God. Okay. So poo at poo home. And just not get paid for it. Poo at home for free. Well, I don't get paid for pooing now, and I'm fine with that. See... I think everyone has their price. Would you <laughs> would you be paid would you poo at work only if you were paid a thousand pounds per poo? Yeah. Obviously. Well that's that solved the uh, <laughs> question. Right. Like cuz you're looking at potentially if you're healthy. So there's even an upside to being healthy and having good digestion. Mhm. Speaking of which, poo a day, 7 grand a week. 30 grand a month. You actually wouldn't need to do any work. You, you Ironically, you just have to not be fired. Keep up a facade at work so that they kept like, letting you in. Turn up in a shirt <laughs> and look busy. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so there's even a, a sorry to keep interrupting you, but there's even an advantage to having really sort of spicy, flamboyant, maybe slightly out of date diets, mm-hmm. or a, a diet that can comprise a comprise of a lot of foods that create digestive havoc so that you up your because increase your frequency when you're talking like four or five. That's a high risk a strategy to always try and eat out of date food to give yourself a mild gastroenteritis every time. Like it's. <laughs> But you talk, you could be up to sort of seven or eight grand a day. Yeah, it'd be worth it, wouldn't it? And just batch that for a couple of months. Yeah, and fine. Then elope. Great. Glad we got that one sorted. What's the next? Excellent. I was just going to say, because of poo, speaking of poos, if you've been watching Project Swole, I think it's episode three, I talk about the supplements that I'm taking. And one of them <clears> is <throat> the probiotic from bulkpowders.com. We're not affiliates of this, and there are many other great probiotics. I just found it because it's cheap and has um, a decent dose of a varied amount of things that are useful and the digestive enzyme five strains of bacteria and i have noticed that poo quality and frequency has become more consistent and improved do you think so, that so my experience with a, with a probiotic is that it doesn't it helps to a point mm-hmm. and then almost makes you, me feel worse right and I, so I wonder whether, because I know the sort of the standard advice is have, take a broad spectrum probiotic <clears throat> before going on holiday or after coming back from holiday when you've been exposed to sort of different, different That was bacteria. why I bought it actually, because I, yeah, I'd had obviously antibiotic treatment followed by mm-hmm. stint in hospital. So um, that's, so that's the other time, isn't it? Post, post cycle or what's the phrase? Post cycle. Not, what's the, if you do that, if you, course, a course of antibiotics. Ah, okay. Maybe they'd, maybe they'd help post-cycle as well. I don't know. If you have a lot of drugs, then it makes sense to mm. have something to help you poo. Well, I was on... the drugs. <laughs> I was on the bad kind of steroids. Mm. When you say bad kind, you mean the, one that don't make, the ones that don't make you muscly? The ones that don't make you muscly. The ones that make you unmuscly. <laughs> unmuscly. The, the corticosteroids, which I would not recommend to anyone. No? Pretty rubbish drug. Well, they're not rubbish, because they do... They do what they're meant to do, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Fine. Why are we talking about that? Probiotics, poo, poo at home, paid to be poo. Green smoothies. To be pooed. Green smoothies are... The thing that I've found that just never fails to improve your digestion is increasing your intake of, of green vegetables. Johnny took this to the extreme. <laughs> because of a man. Because of a man called Garrett White, who runs something called Wake Up Warrior, which sounds very sort of cliched and... Uh, well, it is quite cliche, but but it's a it's a four pronged approach <laughs> to achieving goals in your life, well, and one of them one of them is you yeah. have to drink a lot of vegetables and poo a lot. So one one of his arguments is that if you um, rather than focusing on various aspects of your diet specifically, just have just take all of your vegetables, all of your fruit that you're going to consume that day, blend it, drink it first thing in the morning, and then you kind of batch that part of your life. And I love approaches or or suggestions that make things. You're kind of doing one thing and it's done. Like you've done that thing. You've done your health thing for the day. And the digestion benefits are ridiculous. After a week or so of doing that every day. So it's like spinach, banana, blueberry. And I add like my my creatine two two scoops away. And it's just my breakfast. Tastes pretty good. Very, very satiating. Good digestive effect. It's a great principle to follow in general. We just did a video on this in our VIP team propane group, which you can uh, you can join if you get in touch with us uh, about that. And it was uh, how to make the most of your Smundays. Smundays. Which is the 
time at the end of a Sunday when anxiety starts to creep up that Monday's coming and you haven't prepared for the week. And it's literally just saying that, that you batch process everything that you can. So perform all of your errands in bulk, do like two weeks of laundry in one go, do your meal prep for the week, uh, do an online grocery shop, any of those things that you can just do in batch rather than if you were to do them spread out throughout the week, that they would take more time in total than if you were to combine it all. And the same principle goes for what Johnny's just said about getting all your vegetables in in one go or covering your nutritional bases at the start of the day. Mm. And that's something we used to talk about in the propane protocol as well of wake up, hit your bases. So get your creatine, your motivates, your vegetables or whatever in the bag. And also any other habits you want to do, maybe a morning walk, maybe the grocery shop, maybe meditating, any of those things. And then by the time it's 9 a.m., even if you completely balls up the rest of the day. <laughs> You've done the key things. If you go to, um, if you go on the main website at Propane Fitness as well, um, the, the sort of the big red banner at the top where we talk about the macro tracking formula, those are kind of five, five things that we recommend our clients do to sort of help with managing things around their life, around their day. One of those things is the two-one day planning approach, which is basically just saying the first two meals of your day or the first chunk of your day is where you tick off the fruit, the vegetables, the fiber, water, supplements, getting the majority of your protein so that that last meal, if it ends up being just a big bowl of squirty cream, <laughs> which, you know, maybe it is if that's what you want, then it doesn't really matter, you know, because if you were to aggregate your day, your nutrition, you've still eaten sensibly, even though you went absolutely <laughs> mental in the evening. It's a really successful strategy with our clients and <laughs> the, the people who struggle to stay on top of it during the day. When they do the two one day planning method and the squirty cream and the squirty cream, mm. then they love it. You can add cherries into the cream as well. Yeah, exactly. You can do what you want with the squirty cream. Now, would you rather have ten invincible mosquitoes follow you around for life, mm -hmm. or flip a coin for AIDS? <laughs> oh my god! It's a horrible one. Do the mosquitoes? So the mosquitoes aren't helping me. That was how I <laughs> the way that I listened to that when you first said it was that they were kind of my. My God. team of Avengers. And... I see. Well, if you can learn to communicate with them, maybe they, maybe you would after that much time. But they do they do they harbor any resentment? Um, no. <laughs> no. Do they harbor any disease? Tropical diseases? No. So they just bite me. Do they bite or sting? Because I think if they harbor tropical disease, then it's, it's game like, over anyway. It's like, do you want AIDS or malaria? AIDS. Really? Yeah. If if I had the choice. So this is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sort of thing that you say as though it's the most obvious decision in the world, but I bet you most people would, would say the opposite. There's pros and cons to both, definitely. Of course. Like, once you've done malaria, you've, you've got it out of your system, you've sorted, but... Surely AIDS is a pretty... Like, that's a that's a switch from, from one to the other rather than yes. you're, Ill, you're ill for a bit. That's true. There is something... So there's an argument that AIDS now, if you got it, is... So you, your life expectancy, if you have HIV is longer than if you're normal and healthy, simply because is you this, get this is so much medical stats. attention. Right, I see. Yeah. And reviews and stuff. So it can be well controlled, but there is a stigma with it, which is a... Um, it doesn't affect, like, your ability to get a mortgage and finance and things like that. Oh, really? I thought maybe. it did, just because it, by definition, affects your life expectancy, but maybe not so much I see. with stats like that. I wonder if they're... I don't think they'd be allowed to ask about it on the application, saying... What's your what's your annual salary? Do you have AIDS? <laughs> Are you single, married, or divorced? 
I just heard that somewhere, but it's the sort of thing that you've got to be careful when you're saying, just in case it's not genuine. Could you could you look it up? Yeah, AIDS mortgage application. While I'm looking it up, would you rather have a sexy, super sexy life partner that can only nod yes and no to communicate, or a talking animal best friend that only you can understand? We will get on to the main topic, which is weight gain. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> But we've, we've got to get the important <coughs> answer to this question. Yeah. Whilst you're just looking up personal finance and, and HIV. If you, incidentally, if you want to find out how, how Yusuf was, was told that he doesn't have HIV, also check out the, what's, it, what's it called? Project Project Project's called Three. Right. It's amazing how well you know the series off the top of your head. So I would go for the, the animal that only I can understand. Yeah. I guess if you can choose the animal as well, it could be useful. Just because I think that, so the super sexy life partner thing mm-hmm. that can't speak, why is that better than just having, finding a life partner that can speak? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like why? Because it, I think the, the nature of the question is it's trying to elicit the guarantee of super sexy. Got it. But you, so you, there's, there's like a fixed rate bond where there is a, there's a fixed number for the sexy rating mm-hmm. but there's also a fixed low number so you're either you're either shallow or a bit weird you might just not be much of a talker and but for someone who cannot talk like there are going to be quite a few obstacles you you come up against on a daily basis whereas an animal you can talk to like think of the the possibilities you, you couldn't tell people because they would think that you're psychotic i suppose you could prove it by saying like okay manatee I wouldn't get a manatee, actually. That'd be the worst animal to have with you, but... Corgi. Corgi. Yeah, fine. (laughs) So, you say, I'll prove to you that I can talk to the corgi. Right, corgi, go into that other room. You wouldn't call it corgi. You'd call it Paul or Brian. Okay, Brian, go into the other room with my friend who's a sceptic. Roll a dice. Paul will tell you what the number is, come back, tell me, and then I'll prove to you that I can speak to Paul. <laughs> I suppose the only question is, does Paul, just because he can speak to you, does Paul have a higher level of, of intelligence than a normal corgi? He might be like, look, mate, I'm not playing you stupid games. I'm a dog. To... Mm. Yeah, but... Or he might be trolling you and be like, well, I'll just let you... Like, tell you it's four, where actually it was two. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more, you know, so we were talking the other day with... Ben, who listens. Johnny just checked an invisible watch on his hand. No, I checked because I, I had something itching under my sleeve. I wanted to check there was nothing under my <laughs> sleeve itching me. Whether dogs have self-referential thought. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a dog. You're my owner. You know, like, do, are, do, are they aware of themselves as an entity? Would, would it be able to look at a dice and count, for example? Because if it can't count, which I think is a fair assumption. You're right. If it has then, the intelligence of a dog... And you end up with a really thick dog, then you, you've just got a life. Or even a really clever dog. Like, <clears throat> I'm not sure clever dogs can count one, two, three, four, five, mm. six. Or even converse in human language. So I'll still go with you the animal. You still choose yeah. the animal. Mm-hmm. Fine. To answer the question about HIV, I think so. Mortgage lenders cannot insist if someone buys life insurance, but borrowers may find the lender tries to sell it. Never mind. <laughs> We've gone on too long. Let's talk about weight gain. Because this is something that we're both doing right now both aiming to gain some weight. Um, Johnny to move up a weight category and myself to regain weight that I lost in hospital over Christmas period. So where to start? Where to start? What was the question? 
it was the psychology of gaining weight versus cutting. Okay. So I think the positions that you and I are in are quite different. Mm -hmm. One, because you're shredded and abs lean all the time, (laughs) despite what you do. Because I follow the propane protocol. (laughs) (laughs) You know that photo, excuse me, that you made of David Cameron when the Conservative, when he was campaigning for the general election? Yeah, I get shredded by eating cake for breakfast. And then instead of better than the alternative in the corner, it just said, it's only calories. <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, anyway, so yeah, so what I'm, what I'm faced with, I think, is moving from 93 kilos to up to, if I wanted to, 105. You're going from... 68, 69. Back to what you were. Back to 78, yeah. Okay. So and maybe beyond. Like, I may as well. Then. Yeah. Hmm. What, would you, what would you consider to be too much weight? I think, so I've been 88 before and I was starting to get shin splints and it made tumbling and gymnastics harder. Juji Mufu says the same thing. He is a bit taller than me, he's five foot ten, and he said that his best tricking weight, his best acrobatic weight was 85 kilos. So 85 at five foot ten. So for me, scale that down to five foot eight, five foot nine, about 82. Okay. So, because the heaviest I remember you being was about 90. Yeah, but I was a Chubba-lub. <laughs> Chubba-lub. When I was a chubster. Yeah, but I, I think that was when... Because I was probably at about 100 at that point. It was when we were doing whatever we were doing, whatever oh, crazy yeah. diet we were doing at the time. You've been 105 before, haven't you? No. 103? Yeah, like right. just over 100, something like that. Never 105. Was it post-holiday? I might have been post-Christmas. Okay. But it was coupled with like a sustained period of time, <laughs> weight gain. Of heavy that, eating. That sort of <laughs> ended in the... The finale, which was Christmas Day, and then I was like, okay, enough's enough. Um, and you had venison the next morning and then wrote an yeah, article about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your dad was like, why are you eating venison? Why are you venison? Um, yeah, that was the first time I ever followed any kind of structured diet, and I ate nothing but venison, chicken, and spinach, and whey for five weeks. Never again. Yeah, so the psychology for me of cutting versus bulking, I think I would summarize it as cutting feels like you're having a productive day Mm -hmm. so cutting feels like a day where you walk into work and you have an organized to-do list and you look at your calendar and everything's very you know you know exactly what you're doing that day and this week feel very on top of everything you you finish the day you feel like you've got a lot done bulking feels like you're late you've forgotten your you've forgotten your your lunchbox (laughs) forgot forgotten your laptop and your phone your phone's out of battery you had a meeting at 10am that you've not prepared for. You step out the car, you realise you haven't got any trousers on, but you've got your shoes and socks on. You step in a puddle that splashes your shirt, it, that sort of thing. And it's weird, I think it's because with cutting phases, you can really clearly see the, the sort of almost on a daily basis sometimes, like I've done something, the scale has changed in a way that feels mm. like the right direction. Whereas with bulking, there's this kind of unknown, there's this faith that you're cutting, doing Cutting, you're, you're getting tighter physically as well. Mm bulking or gaining weight you're just getting messier in a sense like it's kind of (laughs) you're spilling over yeah yeah Yeah. and i think the problem with the problem that's really what's really challenging about moving up to the 105s is that i know that under no circumstances am i going to be abs lean or retaining a lean physique at 105 kilos like it's beyond what i think anybody unless you're seven foot tall what anybody can maintain in a very lean way naturally mm-hmm. and so there are advantages to that from a strength perspective um, it's weird it's... for you to yeah to do that <clears> accepting <throat> it's like 
I will be getting fat doing this. And it's mm. like, mm-hmm. because I've, I've, you know, in your, in your case, you've topped out the natural end mm. and you are getting to a weight that no drug-free athlete is lean at, yeah. at your height. Yeah. It's um, a, it's a, it's a, which is con- contrary to what we've been normally doing, which is trying to stay lean mm. while gaining weight. And it, that, that's not to say Johnny's like, he's joined the Colonel club and he's, mm. he's just get, trying to get to one five as quick as possible. Cause mm. that wouldn't be helpful for performance. Mm. Although fat gain is inevitable. That doesn't mean you should just jump up to that and gain as much fat as possible. <laughs> as much. So, so I actually, I actually think that probably the biggest mistake people make moving weight class and powerlifting is kind of a an easy way to discuss it because you're you're gaining weight for a specific reason which is to increase your your total and your wilks and that's really what you know anytime anyone's gaining weight in the the context of fitness it's to build muscle build strength build a bigger base before they they cut down again and reveal kind of what's underneath one of the mistakes people make is that you know cutting is very precise and very measured and very careful carefully planned and then bulking is just baby with the bathwater and you know double my calories and they they do end up gaining weight far too quickly in powerlifting, you see people that's the classic powerlifter to the thing. top end of their weight class almost immediately, <laughs> and you've kind of lost all of the the growing room that comes with that transition because you're the down the, the negatives of being at the top of your weight class are that you have to manage your weight in a, a towards towards a competition that is counterproductive to your to your performance. So, so I think it's important actually to mention at this point the way that muscle gain works is different to the way that fat gain works now. If you've been training for some time, you'll know this, but the, as Eric Helms says, calories are permissive to muscle growth. Muscle gain happens at a very slow rate. If you've been training for some time, it's between one and 200 grams per month. Now, no amount of extra calories over and above that is gonna accelerate that any further. Fat gain can happen at any rate that you like. If you eat a whole bunch of calories, you're gonna gain a whole bunch of fat. So if you, eat just enough calories to support the muscle gain. Remember that calories are permissive to muscle growth, then you will gain muscle in that rate and there may be a slight bit of fat that comes with it. But if you just completely overshoot, you're not gonna gain muscle any faster and you've just wasted your time and shot yourself in the foot. So the way that I, that almost wants to look on the scale is is almost maintaining your weight. Like you don't really, you shouldn't be seeing consistent linear changes in your weight really on a on a daily or even a weekly basis. Your waist should also be the same measurement mm. so i think what is um what's difficult for me from a powerlifting perspective is that doing doing that in the sense that is you know you're taking your weight gain very very slowly is that you're by moving up to 105s moving up a weight class you're inherently moving up to a much higher level of competition and so the way that i have allowed my weight to change is allow my calories to increase my weight's gone from where it was settling around between 95 and 96 it's now settling around 97 98 kilos but i intend to keep it there for quite a long time and what that's allowed me to do in training is feel a lot more stable on the bar you feel much stronger because there's just a bit more of you and sure there'll, there'll have been some fat gain that came along with that weight gain but as long as i allow my, my muscle, my strength gain to acclimatize to that new weight and the new calorie level. As long as I'm not going from 98, 97 now to 99, 100 in a couple of weeks and then 101, 102, um, on average, I'll be aiming over the course of the next year, I'll be aiming for around, you know, one, 200 grams, half a kilo, let's say, um, every month or so. And that just assumes 
that your strength gain is, is increasing with that as well. It's a pretty boring answer. It's not like, oh, really? yeah, I can just go off and um, go mental on it. But ultimately, you want to stay lean. You want to stay as mm. lean as you can. And we really want to be eating as few calories as needed to gain strength. And if you start eating much more than that, then you've got to pay the consequences of that. Which is actually the opposite of how we approach fat loss, which is that we want to be eating as many calories as possible while still hitting our desired rate of weight loss. So it's it's really just about doing the minimum amount of change to achieve the desired outcome, to whether that's weight on the bar, muscle mass, or weight on the scale, or weight loss. And it's it's if we go overkill, which is what most people do in both instances, so they cut calories too quickly or they increase calories too fast. Which we've definitely done on, both, on both sides of the spectrum. You, you, you're just removing the the longevity benefits for yourself, like being able to have a slow and sustained cut, which allows you to maintain your strength and maintain the majority of your muscle mass, and a slow and sustained weight gain phase that allows you to minimize the fat gain. Both are a, a better outcome in in the long run. So it's just about taking, just sitting and accepting that it's going to take a while, whichever way you're going, and understanding that. It's very, very rarely better, especially in the weight gain department. Yeah, it's, quickly. It, it's interesting because because of the way that fat gain and fat loss works compared to muscle gain, it's more costly to you to go to overshoot when you're gaining weight than it is to overshoot when you're losing weight. It's more acceptable to do an aggressive short-term diet because at least you're just going to lose more fat. Mm -hmm. um, but along with that comes the unpleasantness of it and also the potential for strength loss and injury and feeling grim and and also <clears throat> the other factor is and this is this was based on a study over 10 weeks where they measured serotonin and testosterone in and cortisol in women over 10 weeks those who lost half a percent or what half a percent to one percent of their body weight per week didn't suffer any kind of uh, depressive symptoms or reduction in muscle power or reduction in testosterone and serotonin. The group that lost more than that, that lost 2% or more per week, had all of the decline in their function and, and the rest of it, and muscle power and everything else. So really the only reason that you would want to do a shorter aggressive diet is if it suits your psychology more and it, you can just get it out of the way and you're doing it for a short amount of time before returning to eating maintenance again. Something that we tend to program for people when they start working with us. And this, I suppose this speaks to strategies at, at a higher level as well, is usually, most people in the fitness world seeking improvement typically need to diet first. They typically need to go through a phase of fat loss first, unless they're already as lean as they would like to be and the amount of fat they're carrying isn't, doesn't pose any kind of psychological limitation. It's a very small percentage of people that turn up to us and say, you know what, I'm really happy with how lean I am right now. I would just like my calories carefully managed as I gain muscle without, while minimizing that. So yeah, most people go through a fat loss phase. And the thing is, if you if people, the sort of the ideal client is, or the, the ideal place to be is someone who's been eating kind of maintenance for a while, I suppose. And this is never the case, but the ideal scenario would be you've been eating maintenance for a while and you're looking to diet. You're looking to start a diet. And in that scenario, it's actually beneficial in a lot of ways to do quite a bit of digging and work in the first sort of one to two months because you can tolerate lower calories before your hunger starts going haywire before you start feeling the effect and then actually increase your calories as the diet goes on, which may sound a bit strange, but your tolerance to a deficit, your tolerance to hunger will decrease linearly over time. 
if we take advantage of that initial phase, do a bit of digging, get, get much leaner or get as lean as you can in those eight weeks, then take things slower and sort of settle into a longer diet or as long as you need it to be. There's very often some great aesthetic progress that we see in those first couple of months when we do the digging because you'll often have someone that's maybe been inconsistent with training and they've been eating maintenance and then suddenly <clears throat> they're getting this new stimulus from a training program, they're getting some noob gains and quite often they will gain strength, gain a little bit of muscle and lose fat. And so by the end of the two months, it looks as if they've done a, a quite an effective recomp. And then we can start making things a little bit more moderate and carrying on. For those of you who don't want coaching with us, because you don't like us, you because that's the only reason, obviously, is that you can get on the website, if you go to uh, Propane Fitness and Products, Faster Fat Loss is the, basically the first four to eight weeks of dieting mapped <clears> out. And then the tracking bundle is the way that we sort of adjust things over time for a longer term approach. If you want to see sort of the inside on how we actually manage that. But on the, just I suppose to, because the question was specifically about the psychology. Mm. I think there's no two ways about it. Like dieting is much easier for me psychologically. I think gaining weight and what I'm doing right now is pretty, pretty challenging, pretty difficult. And it is, it is very much like I'm doing this as a, as a short term decision to see if I can to sort of become the strongest version of myself without weight being the limiting factor. So you're saying it's challenging psychologically, mm -hmm. but I imagine the extra food, it's nice to eat more food. It is, but it's more food in a dieted mindset is very different to more food in a, in a fed mindset. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a, a video I remember it watching. It plateaus of, very quickly. Very, very quickly. <laughs> I remember watching a video of, of Kai Green, who, for those of you who don't follow bodybuilding, pretty well-known bodybuilder, on a diet for, the, for a Mr. Olympia. And he was talking about his post-show meal, and he was having like pancakes and loads of food. And the interviewer asked him how much he was enjoying it, and he said, I am enjoying it, but I know that's a trick, because when I'm dieting, every meal actually holds value, because when you're dieting, when you're in that hungry, permanently hungry state of mind, every meal that you have is the most fantastic thing mm -hmm. ever. Whereas, you become neurally sensitized to mm -hmm. the rewards of food and the pleasures of eating good because it's scarce and it's all your body on a very basic survival mm. level once i suppose it, yeah if you make anything scarce then you tune up the sensitivity to it yeah. which is often a, a good thing to do and yeah if anyone's ever tried say you know if, if you're listening to that and you're thinking nah more food always means more pleasure i love food well try eating Six thousand calories a day for the next week, mm. and tell me by day well, seven. Maybe, maybe don't, but <laughs> think about what that might what that might be like. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, Michael Phelps eats twelve thousand calories. That, that would be class. I'd love to do that. No, no mistakes about it. Like I, I grew up as a fat kid. Like I am not. Food is not something that I am. I feel neutral to. Like I like. I, I enjoy eating, mm -hmm. but so having to hear you say that in that context is still yeah is quite powerful. Yeah. So I think the because as well you know. You know deep down, like, yes, I'm adding weight to the bar, but especially for the amount of time I've been training and the, the sort of the level that my lifts are at relative to my body weight, I'm not going to see 20, 30 kilo shifts in my weight, uh, in the weight on the bar. I'm not going to see huge adjustments in my total. It's a very <coughs> gradual and slow process. And seeing, you know, knowing that every day you're sort of contributing to your weight going up, knowing that you're, you're digging yourself further and further down this path of getting less lean, moving mm. further away from what you have always considered being you, you know i've been 93 kilos for years like i've literally five five plus years i've been the same weight 
maintaining it within a tight band. And so to change that is a big is a big lifestyle change. Like your clothes start to not fit, and those things will start to happen slowly. So certainly, gaining weight beyond what you know, getting I, I don't I don't actually know that many people to be honest who have gone through a deliberate, sustained period of weight gain on purpose for the purposes of, of strength and, and even fitness. Like you go through, you hear bodybuilders who go through, you know, like, oh, I'll do 12 weeks of bulking or six months of bulking, but then it's followed immediately by a cut. They aren't sustaining that for a very long period of time. And I think psychologically, if you are at, at all attached to your appearance, I think most people in the fitness industry are at some level, even if you have sort of a the, the slightest thought of like, it's quite nice being weak, then it's a difficult thing to do. Definitely a difficult thing to do. And arguably harder psychologically, I would say, than, than cutting for, for the majority of people. Because out of clothes, which is what the way that you assess your appearance, mm -hmm. you take weekly photos in front of a, a washed out light, for example, out of clothes, you're kind of looking worse each week yeah. for a while because there's no, because muscle gain is so slow that you don't tend to perceive it. It's an interesting one. And uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think right now my experience is similar, but I've got a higher threshold for it because I'm now returning to where I was. So I know that I've been 78 kilos lean before. So I know that I'm not going to be fat when I've, <laughs> when I've uh, got yeah. back up to that weight. Yeah, you're regaining lost weight, aren't you, as opposed to going into new... This would be similar to you sort of working up to 95, for example. 95 what? Kilos. Okay, yeah, exactly. So the, and the, the journey that I'm on, is, is, I mean, is, it, is, it, yeah. it would be similar to you doing that. And I, and I would like, I mean, I'm going to go beyond that slightly and, and push into the, the Johnny territory as well. But there is a sense of, so that there's some good data coming out recently as well, of, the, of more evidence towards muscle memory, both on a DNA level and also on a kind of, uh, muscle sensitivity to training level and the density of satellite cells and the muscle, all of that stuff. So there are some mechanisms for muscle memory to return. And people have already said that I'm starting to look more and more normal, more and more uh, like I did before I went into hospital. So that's great. Interestingly, there's a change in identity, I find, in the psychology or in, in your mindset when you're cutting and when you're not, or when you're lighter and when you're heavier. I think that's the better way to put it. Mm -hmm. Now, I should say as well, it sounds like from what we've said so far that we're advising this bulk cut approach. It's not It's not what we're saying. The traditional idea of bulking and cutting, we, we talk about at length in our articles. Check out the one called How to Look Good Year Round, where we say that most people overshoot and undershoot for with calories uh, both ways and end up just wasting their time spinning their wheels because they, they get really fat and then have to spend much longer cutting and so on. And so although I said fat gain is something that you want to try and avoid and just have just enough calories to gain muscle, you also don't want to do the opposite and, um, and undershoot as well. And both of which will waste you time in the long term. That's why it's a fine-tuned thing. Anyway, what I was saying about the identity, when I came out of hospital, I remember walking through Newcastle and, okay, so... I was 68 kilos or something. I was still pretty ill. I was limping around. I had a had an enlarged spleen. And so the consultant said, don't do any contact sports because it could be fatal if you rupture your spleen. When I was walking along, it was at night. And these two guys like bumped into me as I was, as I was walking past them. 
a bit aggressive and it didn't look like they were overtly trying to start a fight but they were they were looking for one if I were to react and I remember feeling pretty small and vulnerable at the time and just thinking like first of all I'm tiny at the moment and if I get punched in the spleen I'll, <laughs> I'll die and I'm limping around I can't use my leg properly so probably not a good idea if I react to this so I just I carried on but I remember thinking like you you feel when you're lighter you feel physically more vulnerable and even when it's windy you're getting blown around more you know you you just haven't got as much weight as much um presence to your physical body and it does impact the the way that you perceive yourself likewise when you're in a weight gain phase you may not even be that much heavier but you just feel more solid and that is reflected in the way that you feel under the bar for example you unrack a squat and you just feel more stable under mm. it unrack a bench press and you, your elbows aren't just wobbling and if you've done an aggressive cut and you've been super lean you'll know the feeling where you think like bloody hell this is a colossal stress on my on my yeah. structures like un- unracking a bench press especially i think when you're when you're dieting or you've been <clears throat> in a dieting phase for a long time and i think anyone at the point where they're you know abs, abs are very visible the sort of separation in, in most of your body parts when you start to reach the lower levels of body fat there's no fat or anything to cushion to cushion to. yeah and you, you rack a bench press and you do you feel almost feel yourself shaking under a weight that previously you would have been able to handle easily and definitely the the benefit and the, the advantage of just eating more food even if your weight is the same so as soon as i made the decision to transition from so funnily enough when i made the decision to transition from 105 from 93 to 105 it's conversation with a few people yusuf my coach a few people at the gym sort of saying i was dieting my plan was originally to diet to a lighter 93 and then gain weight in the context of a 93 kilo lifter and everyone was just like why are you doing that like you're gonna lose strength as a 93 kilo lifter you might improve your wilk slightly but you'll lose strength overall and i a lot of decisions combined decided you know what i'll give the one of fives a go increase my calories slightly and just let my weight drift up slowly and the way that you immediately feel under the same weight so like a 200 kilo squat for example went from being that was a heavy single to that was nothing Ain't no thing. It's instantly, <clears throat> just from a bit more food, just from holding a bit more water, eating a, a few more calories. So there's a sense of being a, a juggernaut. Um, yeah. And it, I, maybe it's partly psychological. Maybe it's hormonal. Maybe it's simply that you're eating more food. You're you're generally fueling your body more, mm. and so it thinks, well, you know what, I'm not under threat. Mm-hmm. There's and, plenty of everything going on mm-hmm. here. I can really ramp up the the, the systems. Exactly. And yeah. so what what I meant to meant, meant to say about these two guys that sort of barged into me and um, I thought I better leave this because <laughs> I'm a feeling like a nine-year-old girl is first of all definitely an appreciation for you know a, a single woman walking on her own in the in the street at night and how physically vulnerable they might must must feel but also the month prior to that when I was heavier um, someone we should just clarify <laughs> before we get sexist comments you mean because your body weight was lighter yeah, more, being, more akin to that of an average female body weight. Yeah, more more prone to being Nothing to do physically with, overpowered with, with marital status. Or, or women <laughs> being weaker than men or anything like that. It was a... Well, you know what? Women are weaker than men on oh, average. Like, this, is, this is something that we, we, we kind of um, we got some hate for. But the oh, fact yeah, is... I hated the video on it, didn't if, you? Yeah, if, if, you, if you take the average total of women and the average total of men... Like powerlifting total, squat, bench, deadlift, if we use that as a measure of strength, there is a massive divide and we can't pretend that that doesn't exist. 
we're not saying that there are some men that are weaker than women and there are some women that are stronger than some men that like but yeah if you're a if you're a woman walking alone at night i had a a, a very mild taste of of how that must feel compare that to a month prior where i got started on by another guy <laughs> admittedly he was um he was still he was he was a big person but i felt like i could hold my own hold my own a little bit more because i was closer to 80 kilos and i just kind of just felt a little bit more stable in that and didn't have a spleen that was about to rupture you so got started on a lot as you can probably tell yeah i don't know why but <laughs> maybe you heard the propane podcast and was like oh starting for god's sake so you feel generally more fragile when you're cutting mm. and generally more juggernauty when you're gaining weight however I think gaining weight at the wrong time can just lead to feeling fat, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think pe- when people are gaining weight, they tend to default to thoughts of, you know, oh, I look bad in this, or, you know, they, they feel worse about themselves psychologically. And I think if you feel like you're... So one of the reasons that, that I mentioned before, you know, when people come to us, the first thing we suggest typically is... Get the leanness demon done, out of Done your, with. Yeah, It's exercise. because if you tell someone who is in a position where they're feeling like, you know, and let, so the only exception is probably in the context of an athlete or strength sports where the weight has a direct correlation with weight on the bar or total. Someone who is just looking to get better or, or the bigger, better version of themselves. And I think in that case, it's interesting because you take an athlete whose performance depends on their weight, like a rugby player, they invest more in their identity in their performance at rugby than they do in how many abs they've got. Yeah. And so as a result they've got over that leanness demon because they're putting their eggs in a different basket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even, <clears throat> even top-level powerlifters don't care, couldn't care less mm. about how they look because it's all about what is my total, what is my Wilkes, how does my body weight affect my performance? But if you... So the, 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 the kind of distinguishing question we ask is how would you feel over the next 12 weeks if you were to get linearly less lean or gain, gain weight and have a fatter appearance, I suppose? Most people wouldn't be happy with that. And the only time that you would be fine with that is if you were already at the point where leanness is kind of done. You know, you're as lean as you would like to be. Sometimes you have to do that as well. We talk about this in the Leanness Demons podcast that many people really want to get lean. And they, the, the sad reality is that actually if they get that lean, they'll realise that there was nothing satisfying about it. There was nothing to chase. Like all that's happened is that they felt a bit rough. Mm. foot and really hungry and, and actually there's never a point where you're like yep yeah, I've completed leanness because your perception changes as well now it's individual I found that the leaner I got the more neurotic and the more fat I felt <laughs> just because you get into the cycle and actually once you're and you know I, I am biased because you do have to have got lean enough to then be comfortable gaining weight afterwards so give yourself a buffer so for example if you're comfortable being anything under 15% body fat, then it's worth dieting down to maybe 8% body fat and then giving yourself that buffer, that 7% buffer to, to gain weight within. Once you're at that point, you actually don't really care as much because you're moving up to, say, 15%, feeling pretty good, and you actually care less and less, and you become more happy, less food-focused, more carefree as you approach that, provided you're still within your general range. If you're way over that, then obviously the thoughts do start to come back in of like, oh, maybe I am getting a bit chub here. <clears throat> maybe I need to do something about it. Something I think that is really important to mention as well 
just, I mean, this is just becoming a podcast on how to manage your diet, I suppose, but probably the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, is to be trying to lose weight and failing and doing that well, for a sustained period of time. It's a terrible um, place to be. I think, because I, I was there, I think we were both there, weren't we? For a long time, you sort of trying all these different things and you you focus on you focus on a specific type of diet. Like we were always playing around with carb timing and various supplements, training different ways, eat, eating windows, fasting. It's exhausting. Low carb, Even high carb. managing that stuff. Yeah, it is. And we were probably, both of us, like playing with a calorie deficit for well over a year before we actually started measuring and seeing change and moving towards the point where it was like, we're actually getting very, very lean now. And that was, uh, we've written about that a lot, but that came through through simplifying, through getting rid of a lot of the variables we were managing, just managing the adherence rather than the details. Um, so I think if you are going to take the approach of, I'm listening to this, I'm going to follow a fat loss approach, get that out of the way and transition into being in a place where I can be in a calorie surplus or maintenance phase for a while, then don't stay. If you're in a calorie deficit or trying to lose weight and you aren't seeing chain, like change or measurable results on a weekly basis, go and get help. Go and get someone to help you with that process. Because Don't hang around there. The worst thing that you can do is to spend, like for your metabolism, mm. is to hang around toying with a deficit for a long period. So you really want to be spending the minimum time needed cutting. You want the, the minimum total amount of time in your life dieting and the most amount of time eating either maintenance or a slight surplus so it's like i think it's like trying to swim a length underwater yeah like there's this you have an amount of time like it doesn't matter what technique you use necessarily you have to take a big enough breath and you have to get to the other end before your oxygen so, becomes so don't, a problem. don't take a tiny breath go under the water for a bit and then sort of wobble around for a bit <laughs> and keep trying to catch your breath just take a big breath at the start go for it get a, the most the biggest chunk of get it to the other way. end yeah, and then you can do and then you get out the pool. Yeah, you can I, go and I, sit in the sauna <laughs> and have a nice time. And so many people sort of g- tiny breath, get in, jump up again, like oh god, I go back, go back the side. <laughs> you know, it's a, it, it is a, it, in many ways works on time. I think you know when you're in a calorie deficit, it's there's a there's a time bomb, and if you're in there for a long enough period of time, psychologically dealing with a calorie deficit, the effects that can have on you. Uh, can be pretty can be pretty significant and hard to move away from. So, the lessons I suppose are um, usually for most people, ninety percent of people diet first, get the leanness demons out of the way. We think that most people should be seeking to get to a point where they can be at least in a calorie maintenance phase, focusing on adding more reps, sets, and weight to the bar. And the best place to be before you start considering gaining weight to help with the, the inevitable psychology of that is to be the leanest version of you and also to have a very clear goal and reason why you're gaining weight in the first place. So for me, it's a very strategic decision. I'm trying to gain weight to improve my powerlifting performance. And it's something that I've been toying with for a long time. It's not a rash, like, sod it, let's go up to the 120s. It's a, it's a careful decision. And so when it comes to your body weight, your performance, if you're interested in fitness and you, you care about how you look, which... If you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. These are decisions that you should put some some time into. I think that's it, really. That's it on weight gain. So I want to know why on your notes there is biryani Monday honey. Ah, well, we can talk about that next week in <laughs> next week's podcast. Open loop created. <laughs> okay. Okay, bye then. Bye-bye.